0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemalewski. Chema, how are you doing tonight, my man?
1: Doing really good, dude. I cannot escape running up that hill while we're talking about the 80s. I'm telling (laughs) you, this might have been the most perfectly timed um, idea as far as doing this in the 80s and this being the summer of Kate Bush because I think I've heard that song... Two or three times a day, every day since we started talking about the 1980s.
0: I'm I'm kind of hoping that when September turns, um, when September ends and our 80s month ends, um, that we'll like we'll collectively as a society turn our attention to Halloween, to mm-hmm. to you know to every, everything that enca- encapsulates Halloween and fall, and we'll kind right. of forget. Even though Stranger Things is a horror show, we'll sort right. of forget it because we're on to something new.
1: I hope that that is the case because I, the one thing that really gets me about the song,
0: I just can't stand the way
1: she says, God, <laughs> it's just like, every time I hear it, it kind of makes me laugh. And like, just cause it is a, like, I don't know. It just kind of sounds a little like funny to me. Cause she's just so passionate about it. But I also have this thing with like religion in pop culture and songs and stuff like that, that, I laugh and then I'm almost just immediately like, oh God, it's like a spiritual thing, isn't it? And I'm like, there's really only a handful of songs that, like, say God in them, and I'm just like, man, these are like seriously fucking legit. And when a lot of those songs that do say God are, are they're not like actually making a call to the the Lord above us, you know? They're just really, like saying, oh God or God this or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it's just with that song, like, deal with God, and I just like God, just enough, enough, I can't take it anymore.
0: I know, you know, it's it really. Uh, this is probably something um, for a future episode. But how, um, how like the modern, how modern pop culture? You know, obviously it's a TV show, but how how TikTok and Instagram like launch these are are relaunching certain pieces of old pop culture like back into the fucking stratosphere. I don't know. Oh if, God, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you saw it today, but um, Ghost, heavy metal Ghost, had mm-hmm. an, had a song chart in the Billboard uh, Hot 100. For the oh, first really? no, time ever,
1: no shit, I did not see that. Which song was it? Did it say?
0: I Can't remember. I had, I I just saw it briefly when I was at work. So I didn't I don't I didn't like register all of it. I just I saw that, um, and it's because of something that like some kind of uh, TikTok thing. Is of course, why go Ghost a you know a heavy metal band from Sweden um, is uh, is suddenly you know charting in the Hot one hundred.
1: And that's, I'm sure, exactly how they wanted to get that hit single, was via be, be TikTok. Exactly. Somebody, somebody eating ramen to um, the mummy dust or whatever, you know. That's right, a, that's right. That's what they're hang, hanging their hats on, for sure. Uh, in, in
0: between people uh, marinating their chicken and NyQuil.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh my god. That's what that is. Okay, I, I saw this tweet about NyQuil chicken, but I... Honestly, it just kind of went one ear and right out the other one. I'm like, okay, maybe this is a new punchline or something. But it, that's what, people marinating their chicken. Yeah. In their neck. Yeah, Why? Who, cool.
0: who? Who? Who truly even fucking knows? I, I. It's one of those things. It's like Like I saw it, and I even saw like there was like the FDA actually felt like they had to issue a warning because you know, in, ingesting that much um, NyQuil and potentially raw chicken, not not a good idea. Um, right. And I'm just sort of like. You know what? I don't want to find out anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's such a dumb idea that like, there's not like, there's a, there is no good reason for any of this. So, not gonna bother.
1: Yeah, no, I don't blame you on that one. And uh, this is where our world is going. Jesus fucking Christ, Nyquil chicken.
0: <laughs> oh goodness gracious. Okay, let's let's leave all that behind and get into the fun shit. Uh, we are concluding our 1980s month, which I. Would I? Not gonna lie, I think it's been a smashing success, and uh, I definitely, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, seriously, like no joke. Re- since we, um, you know, since our last episode recording, since I still had the rental for both um, Red Dawn and Running Man, I was like, you know, since they're both still active, I'm like, I guess I'll just just watch them again. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> like they're sitting here, and nothing else to do tonight. I'll watch them again. So I did. Fuck um, yeah, dude. Yeah, f- fantastic. So this has been a really fun month. And we are going to conclude with something that we usually just we tack on to an episode um, as like you know, something at the end. We we did it before when we covered uh, how you, this is how you lose the time war. We are going to do movie pitches. Um, we're both going to go through and give like a, a pretty. And these are these are more than just like ideas that we might pop out in a regular episode. These are significantly more in depth, um, you know, talking about like, you know, action sequences, um, key, key scenes, you know, the the casting, the director. Um, all kinds of stuff we're going to get into details with. And we've included some other stuff here as well um, to sort of punch it up a little bit. So these are going to be our 1980s movie pitches. Um, I'll just real quickly here, Chem, I'll just, go, just give like the layout of the rules here. There's only a couple. Um, you know, we're obviously full movie pitch. So we're going to talk about the genres they're in. Uh, we're going to have a little elevator pitch before the full pitch. You know, just sort of uh, to get your head in the right place before we really dive into it. And then obviously we're going to cover the cast, the director... And really, the only other rule is that it has to take place in the 1980s. That's it. Makes perfect sense for a 1980s movie pitch. Um, mm-hmm. So, Gemma, if you have something really, truly bizarre, like I said in our, in our example notes, I just said, like, if you have some kind of alternate future space epic, as long as it takes place in, like, 1987, great. It's it's fine. I'll let you figure out all the other 80s-isms that you're going to sort of fit in there. Um, so that's so that's uh, that's all we really need to, like, those are the only rules we're following, basically. Gotcha. Um, so, just as a quick warm-up, Chema. Um, as you were going through the process and putting your movie together, what what movies were you channeling or thinking about? Um, maybe maybe not even movies. What other pieces of '80s um, pop culture were you thinking about when you were putting everything together?
1: Okay, so I primarily channeled three different movies for this one. Believe me, my mind went through so many goddamn '80s movies and plots and scenarios to get to this. But the three primary ones are Videodrome red dawn and back to the future
0: Ooh, now okay very interesting so i I, we're leaning uh we're leaning into into sci-fi obviously at least a little bit definitely
1: yes it's going to be in the line of like horror sci-fi and action kind of all put into one with a little bit of a love story as well gotcha
0: gotcha okay excellent um so yeah, and, and by the way, this is kind of something that I, I noticed as I was like thinking recalling movies for mine. There were sort of a lot of um there were sort of a lot of I, I don't know, I guess the eighties was the was the was the decade of, well let's do a horror movie that's an action movie. Let's do mm-hmm. a sci-fi movie that's an action movie. Let's do like it, there was a lot of that sort of genre crossing. Oh, generally definitely. speaking with action.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like action is such a evergreen kind of genre that you really could mix it in with just about anything. And like with horror, it's people dying, jump scares instead of Mm -hmm. buildings getting
0: blown up. Or maybe there's a couple of buildings getting blown up. Who knows? (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, uh, all right. So excellent choices. I I went with, like you said, I I had three movies in particular that I was channeling Uh, in particular, the thing aliens, Leviathan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Leviathan. Are you Peter Weller? movie? Okay. I have seen this movie
1: show up in the streaming services and stuff, but I have not watched it.
0: Okay, um, if you ever give it a chance, it's not bad. It's actually it's an interesting sort of. I think the ending kind of sucks, but I think the everything in between the everything prior to the ending is uh, is kind of fun uh, sci-fi horror stuff. Um, Nuts. So Leviathan was one, um, and then somehow, some way, a little bit of the Highlander snuck in, and. <laughs> believe it or not i think it works so so we're you know so you can see me leaning hard towards like action sci-fi and action horror and then somehow some way there's a little fantasy element in here
1: very very nice is is kevin sorbo is he the highlander
0: oh no 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 christopher lambert christopher lambert
1: that's right that's right i'm i'm just seeing kevin sorbo all over the place with his alt-right shit and i i could not remember which franchise he was a part of. Uh, Kevin
0: Kevin Sorbo was a TV Hercules. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The proving just, you know, how insignificant he really is and how uh, (laughs) Christopher Lambert is the man.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's Highlander is one of those movies. Like it's the original is definitely like a lot of fun, but I just don't know how you, I really don't know how they managed to squeeze two additional movies or maybe it's three additional movies. And a TV series out of this. Like, I truly don't know.
1: Yeah, I have no idea either. And that was one of Jason Wood's, like, favorite shows and movies growing up, like... There was this point in time where everything just became the Highlander, and like I was like, I don't have cable, I don't know what you're talking about, but with him, it all became the fucking Highlander. He had (laughs) like the tape, like the the six hour long recording tape, you know, with the Mm -hmm. Highlander one, two, and three on it and stuff. Like, I've never seen an individual go all out into something like Highlander as Jason would.
0: I that all checks out. <laughs> just just that that all checks out absolutely. Uh and the TV show wasn't terrible or anything. It's just like I did just like how could you how could there possibly be any more juice to squeeze out of this thing? I don't know, right? Um, anyway, so any any world events um for the 1980s that maybe had uh that you know gave you some inspiration?
1: definitely dude it was the the cold war all the way the rise of the corporate gym and the at home exercise video cassette and also the rise of video cassettes in general and then people like richard simmons and uh, jake body by jake steinfeld so th- this was the uh, primary 80s like inspiration stuff that i drew on and um, as far as world of events and personalities go
0: oh wow chum the more you describe this the more interesting <laughs> it gets um, <laughs> i'm really curious i'm really curious to see how this how uh, a Richard Simmons um, inspires a story in the Cold War. Like, this mm-hmm. sounds fantastic. <laughs> like I said, man, I just
1: grasped at anything I possibly could and just started putting pieces of this puzzle together. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. All right, so I, so same thing. Like, the general fall of the Soviet Union for me, um, you know, the Cold War ending, um, but very specifically also Chernobyl is, like, one of the big events that, um, that things are going to yeah. spring off from here. Um, so you can, mine's, mine's mine at least is a little bit more, I think you can already kind of tell which direction I'm going at least a little bit.
1: A little bit, a little bit, but I guarantee you there's a, I'm still due for some surprises for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so we don't need to, this doesn't need to be too in depth, but let's just pretend that you and I, it is 1985 or something for us. And you were actually creating this movie from scratch and you, you know, you have your dream budget, you can take anyone you want. Who from the who you know who was prominent in the 1980s that you would have for you know who would who would make up some of your casting? Who would be your director? You don't need to get like every single part of your current movie recast. Just throw me out mm-hmm. a few names.
1: Yeah, you bet, dude. So I have Paul Verhoeven as the director. Nice guy's the fucking man. Nice. Um, as far as star wise goes, I have four names to talk about. Um, the first one is Heather Locklear. Man, did I love her in um, the Return of Swamp Thing, growing up and everything. Mm-hmm. Like there was this point in time where. Uh, Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear was only like one of about three women, including Kathy Ireland and my mom and my sister. Four other four women. Sorry about that. Um, so she would be the star of the movie. I have Kurt Russell as kind of like a Jack Burtony type uh, role in this movie. Very nice. And then David Bowie as the primary villain. And then out of complete left field, but I think it would totally work. I actually have his wife Aman as um, what would be like his hot henchman
0: person oh i i dig that casting completely right there actually I, I think i think that would work in in any capacity i think that'd be really interesting i i always feel like bowie is um you know everything that i've ever seen bowie in which nah, it's not gets that much but <laughs> right. um uh, yeah what like less than less than like a dozen movies i think less easily than yeah.
1: zoolander and like five other movies yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um when he's deployed right He's a really interesting presence, like in um The Prestige. Yes. Oh um, yeah. He's a really good presence when he's deployed, right? And he's kind of kind of boring and stuff like um the man who fell to Earth. Not mm-hmm. a little bit boring. There's not really like much for him to do. Um and if I feel like if he's one of those I feel like he and Damon, if used correctly, would be very would be a really interesting presence. Oh, Oh,
1: one hundred fucking percent, dude. And you make a great point about him being used the right way, and especially in the prestige, him as Tesla. These two or three scenes that are sprinkled in throughout the movie, he doesn't come until, like halfway through or something, mm-hmm. and it works perfectly.
0: Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, love the choices. So I'll, I'll start off with my, um, you know, with my actors. I'll start off with my director. This is again. This should be a very big hint as to where I'm going. This was a slam dunk, no brainer. John Carpenter is doing this movie for me in 1985. Um, oh yeah! It just it, it, just it's oh, it's almost like this is, a, you know, as I'm thinking about things, this is definitely with him in mind a little bit, you know, like an homage in general to a John Carpenter-esque movie. Um, mm-hmm. So that was just a slam dunk. Uh, and speaking of John Carpenter people, um, we both hit on someone. Kurt Russell is gonna <laughs> yeah. be my main character in this movie. Um, and then we and then we diverge a little bit from there. Um, I have a couple of people in here that you, upon like hindsight, makes sense, but you probably wouldn't expect. Um, The number two man in, uh, you know, to Kurt Russell's leader, uh, Bill Duke of Predator um, has one of the better big, big, tall black guy um, has one of the better deaths in Predator, actually. Um, And he gets to be the kind of he's the he's like the weirdo in the movie, the weirdo creep who's like really clearly, clearly suffering from PTSD. Um, Mm -hmm. Like that would be his character type. Um, another, one of the, um, <clears throat> one of the, um, Russians, I'll just go ahead and tell you that since I've already mentioned the, the Cold War, one of the Russians in my movie, uh, a guy that we talked about seemingly constantly, Jürgen um, Oh hell
1: yeah!
0: playing one of my Russians, um, playing a Russian scientist, because I think in the 1980s, if you needed a Russian, a European woman in a movie, you had to have Brigitte Nielsen. Yep. Um, that's required by law. And as sort of a in the movie, um, certainly the main antagonist, but like a, a, a main antagonist with, with not many scenes. Um, but, you know, sort of like the, the minim- minimizing minimizing this person is very effective, I think. And so to play my, my antagonist, Jack O'Halloran. Um, are you familiar? Oh, nice. Yes, okay. yes,
1: I am. Definitely. Yeah, you bet.
0: Jack O'Halloran. I don't know if you've, have you ever heard the, um, how did this get made with Jack O'Halloran? I never have, no. It's wild. It's the it's like a two part episode with the first part is they're covering Superman two, um, obviously. Um or no, they're excuse me, they're covering Superman three. Um, with Damon Lindelof. And okay. then like oh by the way, special guest Jack O'Halloran, who was in Superman one and two as non, um, just has all these stories about like, you know, the behind the scenes stuff from one, two, and three um, and just sort of his personal interaction with Christopher Reeve. Uh, he did not like him whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and like, just it, Jack O'Halloran is just one of those people that is just fascinating. Like a fascinating mm-hmm.
1: human being. Nice, dude. Very, very nice. We had a good pull on that one.
0: Absolutely. All right. Um, so let's... Um, here, real quickly. I gotta... I move my notes around so I could get to stuff. Okay. So we're gonna get to our pitches now. And the pitch... If you want chummy, you can go totally uninterrupted. Or if you like want to, you know, if you want to like pause or anything mm-hmm. for comments, questions, go for it. However you want to do it, um, and we're just going to make sure we cover at least three things: like our opening to the movie, at least one key sequence, and then how we're going to end the movie. Um, okay. So uh, do you want to go ahead and lead us off and just go right into it? Yeah, I
1: will go ahead and lead us off while it's all fresh in the mind and everything like that. So I don't. Uh, so I don't uh, okay. lose any of the '80s creative juice that I was. Uh, you know, pumping up for the for the last couple of days and stuff gotcha, for sure. Gotcha.
0: And uh, real quickly before you get before you get full full bore into it, what would be your elevator sort of pitch for this movie? So the elevator
1: pitch for this movie would be: the Russians invade the home fitness industry and America.
0: I fucking love this already. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. So uh, give me your your movie title and then just go ahead and get get into it, man.
1: Okay, the, open, or the movie title is called Guns of Steel. So um, <laughs> I think you kind of know where this whole thing is going a little bit. So, I love this. All right, so we're going to start off at the opening here. So the opening starts off with complete chaos but we focus on a sign for a gym called big dave's pumpery and it's a complete chaos the the gym is actually in the process of being looted and i mean it's just a whole fucking scene okay you got people going nuts in the streets and then there are these kind of like soldiery looking like people that we don't see right away off in the background and everything just you know not necessarily like not not all of them are like participating in the craziness but there are soldiers that are kind of shooting some of these rioters protesters that are going nuts and everything and in the midst of the chaos we follow one man named Dr. Alexey Orlovsky, or um, Dr. O, just for short. This would be the character played by David Bowie. Okay. He is fighting his way through the chaos and trying to get to a building. And when he gets to the building, um, he noticed that he is being followed by just a handful of these soldiers that are all dressed in masks. They have guns, and they're, they're chasing him down, trying to get to him. Well, he gets in this building. Turns out this is, like, where he lives. It's, like, his office and stuff. And he climbs into an at-home tanning bed that has been um, kind of fitted for time travel and everything. So he gets in the at-home tanning bed. He turns on the lights, time travels back to the exact same room, which is in the 80s. So it starts in like a – it starts in the 80s, and he time travels back just like about a year and some change or so. When he – Wakes up in the tanning bed, he opens up the door, he's in the exact same room, everything is a little bit cleaner, and he goes outside and all of the chaos is gone. So we start off with a little bit of time travel via an at home uh, tanning bed. Then the story progresses and we introduce our main character named Carrie. She is hell-bent on becoming a fitness icon. This would have been like an early Kendall Tool, a Jake Steinfeld, Richardson. Is what she wants to be, like a fitness icon in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And she's having some problems right now because her own personal training studio has been shut down by the corporate gym that just opened up across the street. So she can't figure out what to do. She is all like at a loss, no fucking clue where to go until... She is paid a visit by Dr. O. David Bowie comes into her studio and he offers to help produce and make these at home fitness videos that she wants to make. You know, just, it's almost like he kind of we think it's like a random stumbling into the um, into the this studio. But as we mm-hmm. will find out later on that maybe it wasn't. And they have this discussion. They agree to start making these tapes. Then we're going to cut over to this guy, Dave. He was the owner of Big Dave's Pumpery. And his gym is also being closed by a corporate gym that is opening up um, down the street. We don't really spend... Too much time with the corporate gym. We just know that it's opening up and it's like affecting people. It's almost kind of like when Walmart comes to town and certain smaller businesses kind of fold because the new big business has just opened up. So Dave's down on his luck too, you know, and we're, um, he would be like the kind of like the B story in this, or maybe even like a C story. And he serves as a potential love interest for Carrie. So what happens is, is like, like Dave's also like, um, he's going around like selling, um, you know, like the equivalent of like the ab flexor and stuff. He's like, basically after his gym closes, he's trying to hawk these fitness inventions that he's made and stuff like that. You know, it's really like that part about it really isn't up, but we got to give him something. So he's just a almost like a failed or slash up and coming fitness, um, accessory inventor. Mm-hmm. So we had the two, uh, we have the two like kind of leads and then we have Dr. O. So what happens is, is, um, Dr. O and Carrie, they start producing these fitness videos and they are a hit. And Dave actually gets his hand on one. He ends up meeting Carrie and, you know, they talk and she's like, oh, you know, I'm doing this video stuff. And she gives him a, a video copy for him to watch and for him to try out. So he um, goes and he does the video workout and it's a great fucking workout. But at the end, there's imagery of him. Killing somebody that he doesn't know. Kind of similar to like the video drill angle. Like, you know, hey, by the way, like, what is this footage? What the hell's going on? He doesn't really like think all that much about, about it because the workout is just so fucking great and he's happy and he's feeling good and he's got Carrie's phone number. So this image of him kind of killing somebody at first is really nothing. But as time goes on, these images start to become progressively more and more violent and he becomes hypnotized and he starts to see like body type horror images similar to like drone, mm-hmm. But instead of it being like a videotape being put into like a, a vagina stomach, he starts to see like all kinds of crazy shit. Like his pecs are like growing eyes and mouths and talking to him and stuff. And it's basically <laughs> just driving him absolutely crazy. And, um, however crazy as it's making him, he doesn't really know what to do. Like he doesn't want to tell this to Carrie. He thinks he might be embarrassed. Did she do this? Is this maybe like an art thing or something, you know? So he's a little bit skeptical about it, but he eventually tells her and um, Carrie like is kind of surprised. It's like, what the hell is this? You know? So she goes to watch a tape and she sees like the exact same thing. Like she finds herself killing somebody that she doesn't know. And all of a sudden, like, you know, the tension starts to rise. She goes up to Dr. O. Dr. O has like, like, you know, is really, like, dismissive about it, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, maybe it's uh, the editing error, blah, 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 trying to maintain, like, a little bit of mystery. Well, as time goes on, these things and images just get more and more progressively violent. And all of a sudden, like, both Carrie and Dave have this sort of rage about them. And as they watch the tape, again, it's the exact same tape with different images, they finally get the call to action from Dr. O, who, We reveal is a like Russian mad scientist guy who's has this grand plan by brainwashing these people, getting them in shape, brainwashing them, getting them angry to invade the United States. So the climax of the movie, I would say, is all these like, you know, angry as fuck, like fitness people and everything like that just starting to, you know, the tension starting to build and everything. And like, um. He's got like a small handful of troops now, and there's this grand plan to unleash this wave of fury um, as, like, you know, this like almost like a countdown for like maybe a new workout tape that's dropping or something like that. So, all these people are going absolutely nuts. You start to see violence build up. People start to die. It's very similar to like in the Mouth of Madness and everything. There are even cops that are doing the weight the weight loss tape, so they don't they're they don't care. They're like all wanted to do this too. It's like hell is just giving us a point. Let's go to fucking war and everything. They don't even start viewing as. Um, their american uh, brothers and sisters and their uh you know the people that they live with in their neighborhood and everything they don't even start to view them as people they just like are basically just you know food for the the russian invasion machine that's getting ready to take over america then <clears throat> as the um you know as the the craziness ensues we have the riot starts in the streets and everything. And we're kind of taken back to where we were in the beginning. And, um, in the beginning, like, you know, we're still in that same route and everything. And like, all of a sudden it's now it's, um, it's, it's Carrie and Dave and all these other people, they're all dressed in these masks and they have the face coverings and they have guns and they're going around and they're, they're going to war with like their people in the own fucking neighborhood and stuff. And it's all this craziness. There's looting, riots, everything like that. And, um, we basically find out that um, what we saw in the beginning is also how the movie ends. Where Aman comes in is Aman's like a henchman type figure and stuff. And um she is brought into the movie because this doctor, he believes that like what we saw in the beginning was almost like his his trial run of everything. like he thought he he thought he had everything down packed. but he he underestimated. Carrie's vigilance. Cause at some point in time in this whole thing, Carrie and Dave just snap the fuck out of it. And they realize that like what they're doing is wrong and that they've been brainwashed. And like everything that they've been seeing has just been like hallucinations, all prompted by Dr. O. And they even maybe find his his secret lab and his secret plan and like the the headquarters where he's making the tapes and everything. And so um <clears throat> Amon is like his henchman. He believes that like if he has somebody like Amon there who is capable of taking Carrie out. He will succeed this time around where he failed the last time around. And what we've come to find out is that he fails in both times because once Carrie and Dave are good, they just start, they just start kicking ass and taking numbers and everything. And they fucking, um, you know, put a damper on a little bit of the riots. You know, they're still going on, but there's a couple people that have been subdued. They're started knocking people out. There's even been a couple people whose lives that they've had to take strictly just like in self-defense. Like they really like don't want any part of this whole like war situation. And we find ourselves in the exact same place as we were before where Dr. O is like realizing everything has gone wrong. Um, a Mons character, who I just who I named Star for this movie, She is Dead. And he is looking to try to go back in time to restart the process over again, maybe fix what he made a mistake on this time. But he doesn't get there. And Carrie and David stop him before he's able to get into the time machine. And they do manage to put a stop on the ticking clock, the alarm that's going to go off, almost like how it happens in Halloween 3 with like the, the noise at midnight and the mask mm. and everything. So there's like one of those. They stop that. And all is all ends up being right with the world, and like Carrie's kind of lesson is that, um, you know, she wanted to get rich, but she sold herself to she sold her soul to do it by working with this Dr. Ro guy, and um, so her kind of message is like a almost like a be careful what you do for money because you never know where it's going to go type situation, and the the overall message of the film is that um, number one that like you know this is America and. We're never going to be invaded by uh, from outside or from within, and um, and I also had one other thing to add into this, and it just strictly is for the point of the tagline is that Doctor O um, likes to eat walnuts. So the entire time you're seeing him, he's kind of eating walnuts and everything on screen, which will factor into the um,
0: the tagline that we get to at the end. Gotcha, gotcha. I all right. This is really fucking fascinating and I I I love I love the I love the time travel aspect because you can kind of you can kind of mult you could you could make this like a multiple reset movie like mm-hmm. as we get in as we get into the climax like of of Carrie and Dave sort of you know repeatedly thwarting Dr. O in various ways um right. sort of which is one of those it's one of those things I love in time travel movies where like we you know, we're we're careful about it at first, but then, like to sort of like to make things work, we're not careful about it anymore. Um yeah. and like, at this point, who the fuck cares, right? Like all hell's mm-hmm. breaking loose. let's let's try to figure this out however we can do it, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it could be a multiple going back in time. Like I just, I just have it as the one time just for the, the sake of our yeah. discussion and stuff like right. that. But, um, right. yeah. So I mean, basically like, you in know, in like an even shorter summary is that, uh, these home fitness videos start brainwashing people into thinking that they are, um, Russians leading an invasion here in America. And, uh, it, the whole thing is thwarted by the person who started the tapes, who has a major come to Jesus moments and everything like that. And realizes that her quest for money and her quest for wealth has completely like screwed up, not just her life, but the world. And she decides to have a redemption arc as the, um, as the story, um, you know, reaches the the third act into the conclusion.
0: Right. Right. And, and I love that. I'm so glad I'm, I'm surprised that we really didn't hit on this at any other point in time, but Makes sense here that like the oh well, I know we hit it on a little bit when we in our first episode but like the the home video fitness boom that starts in the early eighties and really carries through to, really carries through the entire I mean really carries through until the nineties I guess Um like just sort of the like I, I don't know if this was intentional or not but like um most of those like workout those were bullshit <laughs> like yeah. like. Like okay yeah sure like you know getting up and dancing around being physical you know being physically active is always good I mean there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that but like you know what Richard Simmons does or you know what Richard Simmons made a career off of is kind of nonsensical it's not really like it's any kind of organized workout it's just like hey get up and do dance around right. like an idiot um, yeah and it's just funny like how how using that sort of delivery system of something that is inherently kind of BS to deliver more BS. To everyone. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we were talking about before about like just like people working out and the diets and everything like that in the 80s. Like, when you go back and watch like a lot of that footage, it is seriously just like dancing around, you know, there's yeah. no real like, I mean, I guess there's like some structure to it. But it, the only comparison that I would have is like during the, the pandemic, when I got my uh, Apple Watch, I got like six months of Apple fitness for free where, you know, you're like watching like a dude on your phone, tell you how to do like these different workouts and stuff. And like, at least like those, it wasn't dancing, you know, it may just be like 30 seconds of air squats followed by like a plank for five minutes straight. But like, at least there's a little more organization to it and you're like hearing exercise terminology. Whereas Richard Simmons is just like, you know, move your red leg to the left, like three times, throw your hands in the air and stuff. You know, there's no real exercise like complex exercise movements involved. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, even when like the video where you see these people and it's almost like they're just air rowing, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're rowing like with the motion and everything like that, but you're, there's no weights. There's no squatting involved. You're just sitting there just kind of pulling at nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, you know, like, like I said, like this thing carries easily into the nineties. We get to like Billy blanks, um, you know, one of the more, more popular ones from, from that era. Um, but like, you know, Billy Blanks, there, there was like a, there was logic and organization structure to what he was doing. And like, when you compare, when you compare some of these uh, fitness gurus from the, from the mid eighties to like a Billy Blanks, they're totally different. Like it, yeah. it really is just move around, shake your hands, jump up and down, clap a bunch of times. I'm um, like, right. give me 9 dollars yeah. <laughs> like, It's right. yeah. so bizarre. <laughs> Yeah,
1: at least like Billy Blanks is like Jack. Like Richard Simmons is not in shape at all. Like, no, you know, like like not in any way, shape, or give, form. So it, it's a little easier to take like advice from him. You know, he had to sound legit.
0: Yeah, but give give Richard Simmons a ton of credit for becoming a fitness icon somehow. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, like,
1: seriously. Yeah, didn't didn't he actually play like a doctor on TV it was, like a soap opera doctor or something? And then I think sudden, you're right. It's something like that. It's I think he might be the guy that, um, the expression, like I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV. I think that exp- expression might be having to do with him and its origins.
0: Could, uh, yeah, it definitely could be. Um, I, I, I do really love this. So what are, um, I don't know. Are there any other details you didn't put in the pitch that, um, you just want to like circle back to or anything? Uh,
1: just uh, so I got the walnuts thing. That's for the tagline. Um, I did mention the uh, that Dave's like failed like exercise apparatuses and stuff like that that yeah. I like. Um, let me just go through my notes really
0: quick. Are you, I think you, I got it'd be really just a side note. It'd be really funny if you gave Dave like all of the all of the junk apparatuses that started like popping up in like the late eighties, yeah. early 90s. Like he's responsible yeah. for all, like the shake weight. and yeah. shit
1: that's the kind of stuff I was thinking about yeah. exactly like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for the most part, yeah, I think for the most part, I pretty much got it. Like I'm other than like, I would have, um, like this is uh, like Amon and Bowie, just like, there would be more of them like actually like, you know, putting these things together, you would start to see like a little bit more of like how the operation worked. I, I was even maybe debating on something like, um, the people who are seeing images in the movies are like, um, what they're seeing is footage from like the beginning of the movie, like maybe giving uh, Doctor O this like video camera, and he was carrying it around, wow. maybe getting footage of like this. So there'd be some kind of grounding to the images that they're seeing to the, um, the chaos in the beginning. And like, it may not even be like, even maybe killing people. It's maybe just like an image of them in front of something that looked the way it did in the beginning of the movie that looks different in this yeah. current time and stuff. So like, there would be something like along those lines there. And as even maybe thinking about, um, people who watch the tapes, but like, don't see any images, like having a little bit of a storyline there. Like maybe these are the people that, um, aren't worthy enough to be part of this like elite invasion squad and stuff. Maybe they're just not in shape enough. Maybe there's something in there that makes them not worthy. So I'd have a little bit like more like detail in that regard. Yeah. But, um, but for the most part, like I hit on all the, like all the major points for sure.
0: Yeah. I I love this. This is, this is also, this also has such like, if it's like, if you play the notes, right, you could have some serious extreme black comedy just yeah. oozing through this.
1: Oh my god, dude, that, definitely yeah. When when you're go- when you're going with this something in this premises is as outlandish as it is, you got a lot of room to do a lot of fucked up shit. I love
0: it. I love it. Guns of Steel. That's that's fantastic, Shemma. I love this. Yeah. Believe me, you have no
1: idea how long it took me to land on that fucking title. Like I had this I felt like I had to start at the title first for some reason because I didn't want to like develop a cool ass idea and then just have like a shitty title for it. So like I probably started. So we got the outline on like Thursday, Friday last week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I probably struggled to find a title until maybe after the Browns game. Like, I think it was, this is something maybe like just the anger that I felt from the game. I think I just had this <laughs> angry breakthrough thought that, that landed me on the title. And then like, once I found it, I'm like, okay, guns of steel. Like now I got to look it up online And I, I got lucky. Like for some reason I could not find another, I expected there to be like an eighties movie. That was like a sleeper success called guns of steel. But, uh, turns out I was wrong, which or, is good.
0: Or, or some kind of like porn parody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I probably should have looked at. Actually you, take the back. Probably there important.
0: probably is a guns to steal porn parody, but yeah,
1: I, I almost, don't, I, I'm kind of afraid to Google it just I because wouldn't. of like what porn looked like back then. So yeah, um. I wouldn't, I
0: wouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, yes. it's a it, dude. Like, but like you said, like I, I struggled with the title. I told you, um, off air, um, off recording that I was working on parts of this until like literally, um, like a half hour before we were recording because one, because I was just a, a moron, but that was also part of it too. I literally could not settle on a title that was, that was like, wasn't too like, that wasn't too obvious, but also mm-hmm. wasn't too like esoteric or weird.
1: Yeah. I got you. Yeah. 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 Definitely dude. Yeah. And like th- sometimes the, the title thing is like, it's fucking hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they are, are times when you see like a a bad title and you just kind of like know that it's a shitty title or maybe even a title that's like kind of played out or you maybe see like the same word a a bunch of times in a couple of years or something. But like, it's hard, it's, it's hard to find like a good, clever title. And like, I got to tell you, dude, I settled on Guns of Steel and, like, I couldn't even fucking tell you what the titles that were that didn't even make it. Like, I was just yeah. so happy I landed on something. I'm like, everything else I was working on just does not matter at this point in time, on <laughs> title wise.
0: <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, love it. Excellent. Um, we, uh, hold on one second. Just want to backtrack on the outline here, real quickly. Um, I don't know. Do you want to just do your tagline right now? Oh, I definitely will. Yes. So the, um, so
1: the tagline, like, remember I said the walnuts and everything, Mm -hmm. the tagline is you can crack walnuts with these
0: guns. There you go. Love it. Love it. There's, (laughs) I love it. There's a, um, there's a commercial for, um, a chain of gyms in Germany and this is years ago. So you might have to dig to find it where it's, it's a woman, um, like it's a woman at home really fit chick at home and like you can like hear the sound, the sound of walnuts being cracked and she's cracking them in her ass. Of course. Cause she's so of, in shape.
1: Of course. Leave it to the fucking Germans all the way. And I guarantee you she's probably really hot cause everybody else is hot as hell, like in other countries and stuff and mm-hmm. just sitting there cracking walnuts on her butt. And it Honestly that might be the most like that might be one of the most like german things i think i've ever heard in terms of uh, commercials and stuff like that because that is right on point for the fatherland.
0: There's i forgot i forgot why i got into this for for a while but um there like there's like a whole slew of german commercials that are just like bizarrely over the top. Like there's mm-hmm. there's one and not like in a in like a over the top but not like in your face over the top. Like they're just like, there's one for a ham company in Germany. Um, I want to, I think it's called honest ham or something along those lines.
1: Oh God, that's amazing.
0: And like (laughs) the ham sandwiches in the commercials talk to people. And there's one that is so fucking brutal. It's this kid is sitting at a bench and he's got his lunch and he opens up and this like, it's like a big foam ham sandwich. It looks like a big puppet kind of deal. And the puppet starts talking to him. It's all in English too, which is kind of funny. Um the ham sandwich starts talk- starts talking to him and he goes, "Hey, do you think your parents are coming back?" "Oh, you didn't know. You're an unplanned child." And then like <laughs> and then like the kid looks around and he's sitting at like a truck stop by himself. Oh um, my god. And like and like the kid starts crying and like the sandwich is like, "Oh, no, you're crying." Like <laughs> and that's <laughs> And then like it ends it's like it's like honest ham, brutally honest ham.
1: Oh my god. Like I got to say, number one, I'm going to look that up for sure, because that, I got to tell you, like when you said dark ham commercial, I didn't even go there. My (laughs) mind gets pretty fucking dark sometimes. Like when you said, I honestly thought they were kind of maybe walking you through the process of making a ham sandwich. Um, but I somehow think that that commercial you just described is more darker than the actual ham sandwich making process. Like yeah, from oh. the from the fields to the sandwich.
0: Yeah, no. It, it it's it's very it's very funny. I I feel almost positive there's one of the sandwiches trying to talk someone into an abortion and <laughs> there's another one where like the sandwich is talking about like someone cheating on someone else. Of course. Wow, it's it's ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, that's, so
1: that's unbelievable. I don't want to get too yeah. far down this rabbit hole. Well, I know I what i doing as soon as we get done recording. That's for
0: yep. sure. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was Guns of Steel. Um, now we're gonna we're gonna dip into my movie that the title that I finally settled on, Operation Erebus, um, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, nice. I, I feel like if Ridley has one last movie in him, this is gonna be his. This is gonna be it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what it he got to be? Eighty-two,
1: eighty-three? He's up there in age, man. That is for fucking sure.
0: The fact that he's still working is like as regularly and as frequently as he's still working is pretty impressive. Oh um, god, quite
1: yeah. And when you say Erebus, it's E-R-E-B-U-S, the Greek primordial de- primordial deity. Correct. Is that okay? Gotcha. Yep. Just wanted yep. to make sure I was just looking up some images of it and everything. Yep.
0: Um And the the little elevator pitch here. Um, so. U.S. and Russian forces become unlikely allies as they are plunged into a nightmarish fight for survival inside a captured nuclear power plant.
1: Fuck yes, dude, hell yes, and I'm seeing where the Chernobyl part comes in. And yep, you gotta, you gotta love the um, the outlandishness of the U.S. and the Russians teaming up and everything, especially in the '80s. Yep,
0: and and it's going to become more outlandish once we get to the opening here. I'm, I'm going to give you the cast first, uh, real quickly. Okay. So. Uh, We have our our lead here is Anthony Mackie um, playing Captain Julian Fisher. Um, Our number two man, Alan Richson, playing Lieutenant George Dixon. Uh, We have Boyd Holbrook as CIA Officer Daniels. Uh, Joel Kinnaman as a Russian leader Vitaly Kozlov. That's a good casting choice. What's that?
1: That's a good casting choice. He couldn't look any more. I mean, I know he's Swedish, but like, yeah, that guy couldn't look any more like, uh, like a scary Russian guy. Yep,
0: yep. Andre Trow Trau uh, is our Russian scientist, Galina Ivanov. You have to have one woman. Like I said, like, just like you have to have a mm-hmm. Brigitte Nielsen in a 1980s movie, you have to have one woman in a 1980s mm-hmm. uh, military movie. Uh, so that's Andre Trau. Uh, we have our wisecracking pilot, Lieutenant Brian Kakoa, played by Jason Tobin of uh, Better Luck Tomorrow and Warrior. Uh I, I, ha- I was looking for a way to get this guy in because I, I maintained that if he was 15 years older, he would have been a 1980s action star. And Scott Atkins playing my wild card sergeant, Duke Frost um <laughs> the maniac basically in every 1980s movie the the jesse ventura the, like that type of character
1: right right i got gotcha. you yeah definitely yeah and then I'm looking at this yeah i can S- see him doing it for scott sure. Atkins.
0: scott Atkins is pretty fucking great just a real quick sidebar the guy has the guy studies in six different types of martial arts um he's done like all the weapons i mean he basically is like a walking human weapon he just happens to be like a movie star <laughs> right
1: yeah he's fucking english and he's got uh 12 abs that's right yep. yes
0: yeah he's he's nuts he's nuts if he was he's like in his mid 40s if he was closer to like even slightly closer to like arnold's age he would have been a star in the 80s guarantee it
1: oh god yeah Gee, and i mean, i if i could look even a tenth of what this guy looks like shape-wise when i'm in my 40s i'd be happy
0: yep yep and then rounding it out here at least rounding out our principal cast um the, the character that's only gonna appear a few a few times, the one that would have been played by Jack O'Halloran had this movie been made and actually been made in 1980. but we have Olivier Richards playing Koche the Deathless, um, which Ooh, we will, which nice. we will get into. Um, so the movie opens li- a lot like Red Dawn. We're gonna have a scroll open the movie and uh, to give you some information in the background. So scroll starts off. The twin meltdowns of the Bolokovo Balako- the and Rostov nuclear plants in 1985 and the, and the catastrophic meltdown of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in 1986 usher in the swift fall of the Soviet Union. With the country imploding, the former satellite nations backed by Western allies wage open war against Russia at its borders. Warlords defected from the Red Army leadership battle to capture valuable positions inside the country for power and profit. The Russian Empire is burning is the scroll that opens up. So it's like a, for me, it's like an alternate 1988.
1: Yeah. And I get that sets the scene perfectly. Just like the, like red Dawn, those type the that opening crawling cards were like, maybe like eight sentences. It gave us the, everything we needed to know. Same thing with the running man. I got this. I got the setting for sure.
0: You got it. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we're going to open up. We're going to have, um, you know, kind of like an overhead shot. Like we're flying into one of these battle zones um, at the United States, United States and Kazakhstan Forward Command Center in Petropov, um, um, Kazakhstan, which is right near the Russian border where Kazakhstan and um, Russia meet. It's like um, where Omsk is, if you were to look it up on a map, um, okay. kind of in the very southern part of Siberia. So we're going um, <clears> to <throat> open up inside of the briefing tent of this U.S.-Kazakh military base um there's a special forces team in this tent led by captain julian fisher um awaiting the arrival to be debriefed on a special mission from the cia operative daniels um and this is one of those things that we don't really do in movies anymore we're gonna have the whole team there and we're just gonna like sit with them for a couple of minutes while they chit chat to sort of give a little insight in their personalities you know we're gonna have some jokes some one-liners Um, you know, just some other, other questions back and forth. So you get the, you get the feeling, you know, without having, without having to like outright say it, you know, these guys are a team and you know that like they've been together for a long time and you know that they're kind of, you know, you just get a little insights into their personalities, right? Yeah.
1: Just like Reservoir Dogs. You bet. Definitely.
0: Exactly. So anyway, we finally get to the briefing, uh, officer CIA, officer Daniels is going to, is, you know, gets up in front of them and jumps right into it. No, you know, no pleasantries. And he's telling them about a nuclear facility um, near in Krasnoyarsk-26, which is now called Zeleznogorsk. And there's a very particular reason why I'm picking this one. But there was like an actual nuclear facility um, at this, uh, a secret nuclear facility in the city. Or okay. I, guess, I guess it used to, not really, I mean, it's a city now, but at the time it was one of those administrative districts where they just like moved people. Up, not too unlike Pripyat and Chernobyl.
1: Yeah, I got you. Yeah.
0: Um, same same idea, hence why it has a number, Krasnoyarsk, Krasnoyarsk 26. Um, but uh, anyway, he's briefing them about this facility in this um, administrative district in Siberia. And it is now, it has recently fallen into the hands of a Russian general who defected from the Red Army, bringing with him hundreds of loyalists, you know, equipment, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of experienced fighters. Essentially, he has his own, like, kingdom there that he's yeah. set up with. Uh, that he set up with. And he notes that normally they would let the Russians just deal with their own. But they have intel that um you know this nuclear facility is more than a nuclear facility. They're working on other kind of stuff, other kind of weapons research, and it's very likely that they have some kind of new weapon there. Um mm-hmm. he also notes that in the past 10 days, the activity level of the town, which is right around 50,000, has suspiciously ceased. Satellites mm. that are over the city have you know seeing the city go dark however the facility itself is still operational like the lights are still on es- essentially their yeah. cia is concerned that it might be genocide that you know it, it's now it's you know the the russian general's demands weren't met so he's just killing the townspeople now
1: yeah i gotcha yeah definitely
0: so <clears throat> we're just gonna do a little quick bit of fast forwarding here to when the special forces teams it, it's like a we're we're gonna ha- it's like a, gonna be a classic like nineteen eighties movie like action sequence where like the the choppers are flying in, flying low we're gonna unload all all the team members and there's obviously gonna be more than just the team members I, I have as cast because we're gonna need a lot of cannon fodder for this movie so there's plenty more soldiers that are gonna be going out in this mission um, and none of them are coming back don't worry about that um, so they they go they land um, in like outside the gates of Kresnoyarsk and much to their surprise. No fortifications. No one's guarding anything. It's barren and quiet. It, like the satellite show. There's nothing going on. So mm-hmm. they do a little cursory exploring. They find Red Army vehicles abandoned. There's unspent munitions all over the ground, guns and things just lying all over the place. Like it just everyone dropped everything and left. Yeah. Um, as they're exploring the city, they, you know the the CIA officer kind of interjects and says, "Hey, by the way, you know, they're over their radios and shit talking to each other as they split up and look around. Um, he notes that, hey, by the way, a lot of these cities when they were built were built over top of tunnels and things there, you know, there's like a whole secret. A lot of them have whole secret cities underneath the cities where, you know, research and all kinds of shit was going on. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, they find, um, they find one of these, um, you know, in, in one of the workers, sort of like dormitory style buildings, they find one of these entrances that actually goes to the underground tunnels. And, um, it's basically pitch black down there. Um, you know, part of the team, uh, in this case, a, a I'll actually snap back to the actual scene here that I'm talking about. Um, we have Lieutenant Dixon and the wild card Sergeant Frost are leading half of the team down into these tunnels and it's very, very dark. Um, they're clearly expansive. You know, they run, you know, you can hear echoes from stuff from, you know, possibly who knows miles away, but they're, they're definitely big and expansive, very dark. There's some inconsistent lighting flashing here and there, um, but difficult to see. So there, you know, there, we have our, you know, they have like their their flashlights in the end of their guns on so they can see. yeah suddenly they hear some shuffling um, someone approaching them from uh, <clears throat> someone approaching them from the distance. They point their guns and they and they see a plainclothes townsperson kind of shuffling towards them. He's holding his neck. he has a big gash a big wound that kind of spreads across his whole chest mm-hmm. and he keeps saying the same thing in Russian. I hope I get this right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll get it right. Um, I've been practicing. Um, he keeps huh. saying in Russian, Menen Menen as he approaches. No one quite understands what he's saying. No one there really speaks Russian. Um, but he keeps gesturing to himself saying, Mened, um, eventually this wounded man you know collapses in front of them. Our medic goes to treat him, looking at his wound, it's a massive wound, pussing and bloody, just it almost doesn't even seem like it could be survivable. Um it's so like big and deep. Like imagine something that runs from like almost your neck across your chest from one side or the other. Um, yeah. Big, big gash. Um, as the medic attempts to treat the wound, the gash and the man's entire body split open. A <laughs> lean, black, oily creature with a gaping mouthful of jagged, bony teeth erupts from the body. Just blood and guts flying all over the place. Creature grabs the medic's arms, its jaw unhinges like a snake, and it takes a deep bite, ripping through all the flesh, snapping his bones. The medic's arm just completely, completely reduced to a mangled, bloody stump. The creature—it's—it's it's not very big, you know—you know, kind of like a small dog, I suppose. It's still strong. It actually begins to drag the medic off. Um, the creature—you know—it's the medic's trying to fight it off and sort of to combat it. The creature takes another bite. This time, his jaw unhinges and, and it crushes the medic's face, just leaving a big gaping, spurting hole where his head used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, after after it consumes the medic's flesh, the creature almost instantly begins to grow. Um, you can hear its bones and sinews cracking as it nearly doubles in size, and it just continues to grow in front of the kind of bewildered soldiers. It stands fully upright, oily black skin just leaking some kind of fluid, huge jagged teeth, has no eyes. And it looks, however, no eyes but looks right over to the remaining soldiers and says again, in a much more deeper, ominous voice, Mennauznirov and then bolts at them. Um and obviously here we're going to have like our first sort of action sequence with these soldiers um shooting this thing just plastering it all over the all over the tunnels. Um but they just keep shooting it and it just keeps crawling towards them. It's like it's barely alive but it's still moving towards them. And as it's you know they shoot it into bits and as it's as it's crawling towards them it keeps repeating made a Um out of the shadows steps our Russian survival leader Vitaly Kozlov played by Kinneman bearing a huge wood chopping axe. He runs over, runs over to the creature, chops its head off, finally killing it. He looks up to the, he looks up to Lieutenant Dixon, gives him the old Americanci question, which just means Americans. Mm -hmm. They nod. He says, we can't stay here. More of them are probably nearby. If there's daylight, we need to get to the surface. They prefer the shadows. Um, so that's our first interaction with the, you know, with the, the, the people that we're going to, more people that we're going to find underground. Um, So they do, so they do eventually um, reconvene on the surface. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's obviously a briefing kind of, which seems unbelievable to the other half of, half of the team, you know, it seems unbelievable to the team leader, uh, Fisher. But, um, you know, uh, Vitaly, you know, not only does he sort of um, back up the account, he gives him a little bit more information on it. Um, Dixon finally asks him, what was, what was the guy, what was the creature saying? And uh, Vitaly says, well, they only seem to say one thing. I need blood. Um, oh, okay. so the the creatures are out for them, like they're yeah. on the lookout for human beings. Um, so we get uh, we get the more full picture painted um, from Vitaly. He's, you know, goes all the way back to the beginning of the occupation when originally the um, the warlord took over, and you know, kind of like, hey, it's it's typical warlord stuff, you know, war crimes, robbing, raping, murdering stuff that we've been living through for the past who knows how long at this point. Um, He said that a couple of weeks ago, there was gunfire coming from the facility, the army drew their forces back, and everything went quiet. And then townspeople started disappearing, a few at a time, then dozens at a time, then hundreds would just end up disappearing in a day. Um, Most people got out, but he says he estimates that thousands of people have gone missing in the past, like, five to ten days. Um, And he's trying to reconnect with a group that he's been leading, that have been down in the tunnels for almost a week, that he's been trying to maneuver around these creatures... Um, and get them you know, out up to the surface. And he specifically tells the, the soldiers, hey, there's someone in there that knows a lot more. Um, the, the Russian scientist, Galina Ivanov, she's amongst this group. So eventually they do connect. I'll, I'll fast forward again here a little bit. Eventually they do reconnect with this group. Um, go ahead and picture um, a whole bunch of more creatures and people being killed gruesomely um, before they reconnect with this group. And they find Galina Ivanov, again, played by Andrzej Trau. And she gives them um, more background on exactly what's going on, like the specifics of of their mission and like what might be happening. And I kind of, this is where the Highlander sneaks in. Um, so uh, she's going to tell the story of a Cossack warlord from centuries ago, Koshai the Deathless. And mm-hmm. I kind of picture this part sort of being like it's, it's her voiceover and then let's actually have some, Let's actually have some footage of Koshai the Deathless from like the 12th century um, yeah. kind of in action. So <clears throat> here's her little here's her little screen. Um There's a legend I've heard all my life about a Cossack warrior king who lived many centuries ago. Koshai the Deathless. He was feared throughout the ancient world. Even the Mongols shudder at the very mention of his name. He would drench the battlefields with his opponent's blood. He would raise the cities he conquered and execute anyone he, who would survive. He forbade his scholars from mentioning the names of those he conquered effectively erasing entire civilizations from history his greed and unquenchable thirst drove him to seek something more than land wealth and the fear of his enemies he sacrificed all of his sons one thousand of them to a demon who imbued his soul with dark powers and the gift of immortality legends say he was betrayed by his wives enraged over the deaths of their sons who made their own deal with the gods to punish a regular man for obtaining such natural powers He was entombed in a sarcophagus laden with magic spells to keep him from waking. It was just a legend. Then two years ago, outside Novobirsk, during construction of a new sewage system, construction crews found his burial site. He was moved here for further research and to keep him away from the fighting near Omsk. Two weeks ago, the idiots who took over the facility were doing system checks of the reactor and caused a power surge that disrupted the electronic devices we were using to monitor him and keep his sarcophagus shut. He is now awake, and he is now unleashing madness on all of us. Nice. There's your little nice. intro or interlude, I should say. So, okay, let's just get to the, the plan here. So the plan is pretty straightforward. Like a lot of eighties plans, we got to fight our way through, to do something and to get to our goal. So on the one hand, we're going to, we're going to split the team in two, excuse me. And there's two plans. One, one team is fighting to get to the system control for the reactor. And they're going to begin a chain reaction and set off a massive explosion. Um, if, if any, you know, if they're basically just going to try to atomize Koshay and his army of uh, demons, human demons, whatever the hell they are. Um, and then they're the other half of the team is going to fight their way up to the surface, get to the helicopters um, and prep for everyone to get out um, before, you know, the, obviously the improvised nuclear warhead goes off. Um, so and they're also they're going to say they're going to try to signal to everyone nearby like, hey, by the way, a meltdown's about to happen. So if you happen to be near the area, you might not want to be here um, when we set this thing off because they are within range of regular towns. They are within range of, you know, obviously American military bases, Russian military bases. They're just going to try to signal anyone who will listen to get the fuck out of here um, or at least prepare for um, fallout. So that's the plan. The problem, it's nighttime in late fall in Siberia, which means (laughs) the nights are about like 18 hours long so it, you know the creatures are obviously in the tunnels but now that it's night they're active all over the surface so like it is there's obstacles left and right um so the team fighting on the surface um uh, includes the daniels the cia officer lieutenant dixon uh lieutenant Kokoa, the pilot obviously someone has to fly them out of here and just some various russian survivors and other various soldiers uh the team fighting up below the surface is captain fisher the wild card, Sergeant Frost, Vitality Kozlov, and Galina Ivanov, because Galina's got to be there. Someone has to begin the reaction. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Captain Fisher doesn't know how to work a Russian nuclear facility. Right. Um, so, as you can imagine, there's going to be tons of gruesome deaths on both sides. Uh, the demon creatures are going to be shot, blown up, and pale, generally splattered all over the place. We're going to have a lot of we're going to have a lot of soldiers and Russian survivors getting torn limb from limb, just you know, eaten um impregnated mutilated etc etc by these fucking things it's going to be a fucking nightmarish bloodbath underneath and above um i'll, I'll circle back to a, a particular a couple particular moments but um we'll get to the we'll get to the finale here and then I, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back so the finale so kosh and i will be have been fully awakened at this point um and you know so there'll be a last stand with captain fisher vitaly kozlov as they give uh, galena time to um you know, the time she needs to initiate the chain reaction. So it's these two men battling this supernatural giant demon thing. Um, All of the men are going to be killed by Koshai, like, but it'll be enough time for the meltdown to begin. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does like the meltdown once it's a nuclear reactor. Once you begin a meltdown, you don't unplug it. It just keeps going and going and going. Um, So, you know, that's, so the final, the final scene, however, is actually not going to be in the control system for the for the uh, for the reactor the final scene is actually going to be uh from a ridge miles away um the team that was on the surface were able to survive and get away um they're up on the facility they're up on, like i said they're up on a ridge a mountain ridge miles away but within eye- eyesight of the you know they can put on a pair of binoculars and still see the the town from where they are um they're trying to come t- contact their home base on their radio anyone who will listen so eventually they just opt for a wide open broadcast um, you know belying their belying their location, I suppose if anyone nefarious wanted to come find them. Um, kind of like a hail Mary basically. let's just warn everyone and if you know the wrong people come the wrong people come. Um, so they do they get the message out that hey meltdown eminent and uh, at Presley Ark 26 uh, make preparations get out of the area get your get your uh, radiation suits on whatever you got to do just be prepared. Um, there's a few moments of static silence and then, Various factions began acknowledging the broadcast, saying that they're moving people out of the area. And, you'll, you know, at that point in time, maybe we see, like, I don't know, like some jets or something over top leaving the area, you know, whatever. Just some acknowledgement that, in fact, the message was received. Yeah. So we'll have so we're going to finish off here with Daniels, Dixon and Kakoa sitting on the chopper just next to one another, kind of hanging out almost. But they're all basically entirely in radiation gear, except for their faces are, aren't aren't covered yet. And uh, Daniels looks over to the other two and goes, I don't even know how I'm going to write this report. Dixon, <laughs> Dixon gives him a little a a little um, a jab back and says, just do what you boys in the CIA do best. Lie. <laughs> Daniels gives a little laugh and he, and he just goes, you know, that's the goddamn shame of it all, though. Kakoa interjects, what, that you have to lie to your bosses? Um, and as soon as he asks the question in the distance, we see a bright flash. Um, igniting the early morning sky, the the, the plan worked. The chain reaction went off. The nuclear power plant has gone has gone into complete meltdown and exploded. A massive fiery mushroom cloud billows up from Krasnoyarsk twenty six, the top extending miles into the air. It's done. The nightmare is over. Daniels. They all kind of watch for a moment, in sort of a weird, a very you know what, a very uh, an ending that is very reminiscent of The Thing, right? Sort of yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Like good news, we've survived. Bad news, we had to destroy every fucking thing around us to survive. Um, right. And even then, who knows if we actually survive? Um, so we're, we're they're all looking at the nuclear explosion for a minute, and Daniels looks over and says, "No, even if we were to tell everyone what really happened here, no one would believe us. This shit, how could anyone believe us?" And <laughs> then the group, they kind of they kind of laugh, pull their uh, you know pull their protective hoods over their faces put the rebreathers on and they just continue to watch the mushroom cloud um, billow out, expand and twist in the heavy winds. Fade to black, title card, the end.
1: Nice, dude. Very, very fucking nice here. There's a shit ton of creativity there and I can... see this being a john carpenter movie all the way this seems to check a lot of the boxes that he um that he usually dabbles into and i mean there's other stuff in there like elements of like apocalypse now with like the warlord and everything this russian general going off on his own having people and stuff and like even um even like i can kind of sense some like maybe like prince of darkness maybe certain super the supernatural elements of big trouble little china mixed in there too and oh, stuff yeah. like yeah. thus reinforcing the the carpenterness of the entire project but i gotta tell you like i was able to see that like a lot of that visually like in my mind as you were describing it and everything and like yeah i could definitely see it working it, it does kind of also remind me of that um the short film from love, death and robots, like where the, the Russians and everything like that are in the snow and they're dealing with like uh, zombies or something yeah. like that. Uh, the secret but, war. Um, yeah. The secret war. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, like it definitely has that. And like the way you ended and everything with that lines of dialogues, it seems like something right out of the fucking eighties. And stuff. Oh, yeah. like, it almost seems like those lines are, I can see like the people kind of laughing in their own, like kind of cheesy 1980s yep. sort of way, you know?
0: Yep. Exactly. Exactly what I was going for.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, I like the, um, the the whole thing with like this town and like this reactor no one knows what's going on with the reactor there's something in there and stuff you know and it's like when you you know mentioned um you mentioned like people having to go and explore it it's like okay there's got to be like a monster or something like that going down there and everything yeah. which uh which um which we we got and stuff like that at any point in time were you um debating on like Ah, uh, like a super huge monster, like one that's just been down there for like ever, constantly eating and feeding for them to battle, or were they all just kind of like the the little or monsters that could get big?
0: Yeah, I, I kept I was thinking about that, like so, like when I say like Koshai the Deathless is a giant, I mean like a giant in human terms, like mm-hmm. the the actor that I have playing him is like seven feet tall, so like like imagine imagine a, a, a giant of like at least human proportions if you will and yeah i got you the way i was thinking about it like because I, I know where you're going the way i was thinking about it i thought you know like if if it's if it's something too big kind of being in the tunnels would be restrictive um yeah. just physically restrictive and then it kind of also gives me vibes of do you remember the um do you remember the movie deep rising
1: oh yeah Yes, I have seen this, but it has been a minute. It's
0: yeah. where this, like, this kind of mutated fish creature, there's an actual, it's like, an, It's based. the basis for it is like an actual animal, um, mm-hmm. like a weird animal that lives at, like, really great depths. Um, but, like, it's like a giant, this giant thing takes over, like, an entire cruise ship. And it's, like, it's humongous, so, like, it's, it, but, it, like, it's in, like, all of the, the, it's in the pipes and shit. It's just, like, sort of one big entity with, like, tentacles and shit. And yeah. I was kind of, I think exactly what you mean, I was kind of thinking about something like that and I thought, eh, you know what, I kind of want, because the, there's some visuals that I, I, I have in mind too that I'm like, they kind of work better if these are more human sized beings.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I got to say, like, I i think, at least just from seeing the imagery in my mind off of your explanation, I kind of think that a bunch of smaller creatures going to town and like on a bunch of like soldiers and it's like a huge fight between the two of them i think there's a little bit more than you could do with that instead of just like a one big monster and everybody's firing guns at him oh he moves his arm there goes another 14 of us kind of thing you know what i'm saying so like the um the threat i think is greater if it is just a bunch of little monsters right
0: and i'll uh, real quick here I'll, I'll circle back i'll give you an action sequence that i i just kind of skipped over i didn't want to take up any more time um but it, it, it sort of it plays into exactly what i'm thinking about here so like so everyone everyone that dies especially of our main characters that die they're going to get sort of notable deaths um as is as you have to do right so right in particular i'm giving scott atkins a really great death um his sergeant frost is just again he's a maniac so there's this and this is why also I wanted the the, the smaller, more human-sized sort of um, antagonists or minions, if you will. So part of like the final stand outside of the control room, they kind of have it like um, they kind of set up a kill box. Essentially, it's like a long hallway that they have fortified so they can kind of bottleneck the the creatures there. They're trying to get to them, and any any control room in a nuclear facility is like heavily guarded and heavily you know it's filled with like concrete walls it'd be difficult to get into so like it's a good it would be a good place for a last stand um so we're going to post frost up um very predator style with a minigun that um that that Jesse Ventura has um yeah. just mounted in the hallway and you know once the once the creature sort of break through to get to him it's just a fucking it's just an ambush. So he and the he and the other rest of the team, but mostly him, they are just firing this gun down the hallway, ripping these creatures apart. There's like stacks of of these like creatures just piling up in front of them, blood and guts all over the place. Um, the minigun runs out, so Frost switches to his shotgun, just begins blasting him at close range. Shotgun runs out, he pulls out his machete and his knives and just begins chopping them into pieces. Um, even as he's getting overwhelmed, he's still cutting them to pieces. Finally, he kind of falls, gets dragged off, um, you know, gets dragged off by them down the hallway. And um, as he gets dragged off, his, like, final, we'll we'll have already, we'll have seen this in an earlier scene. He, at some point in time, straps a bunch of plastic explosive to his chest, gets dragged off, detonates it, and just, like, blows the rest of them, like, to, you know, blows the rest of them to Kingdom Kong, basically
1: yeah oh yeah that's a total fucking hero's death and it's good to hear that the minigun actually kills something unlike in predator where it just levels (laughs) a forest i love that scene though (laughs) oh it's so fantastic fucking town on it like Uh oh man that was like one of the scenes that like stuck out in my mind from that movie for like ever like there are times where like i i struggle to remember some of the other stuff but i remember minigun
0: level in the forest yep exactly exactly um yeah so yeah the minigun here gets to absolutely chew apart a bunch of a bunch of creatures um and i can kind of see them very like in my mind very much like the um uh in the the door episode of game of thrones how like mm-hmm. they're crawling like basically on the walls and the, like you yeah. know they're coming from all angles basically that's kind of how i picture it so yeah just
1: complete swarming and everything yeah. overwhelming the shit out of exactly yeah, so you bet.
0: so smaller in that case smaller more human-sized creatures make sense too
1: Oh, definitely, dude. Yeah, for sure. I can see this being a total action-packed, like, fun-ass fucking ride, dude. Humans versus creatures, guns going off, a lot of stuff to watch. Like, yeah, this would be a very fucking entertaining movie.
0: Can I, can I give you two more things here real quickly? Go for it, dude, for sure. All right, so there is going to be a quote-unquote birth scene for Koshai. Um, okay. That's kind of like the big, gruesome reveal. So this this movie is going to be gross as fuck. Like, I'm, I really <laughs> want it to be gross as fuck. So this is going to be one of the grosser moments. Um, as the team is pushing through to get to the control room they're going to find the um the turbine room where like the the steam is routed to create power right mm-hmm. um and this is going to be a feeding room for for what koshi is becoming and so what the the creatures were doing in a lot of cases if they weren't you know if they weren't um uh, you know spreading themselves into other bodies other people they're dragging these bodies to this feeding room to this big ass like, turbine room would be very big like pretty massive. Um, yeah. so they're dragging all the, all the townspeople into this room to be fed, to be fed upon by Koshai, who is at this point, not quite a person yet. Um, we'll, we'll get into That's a little detail. I haven't really figured out. Don't worry about that. Um, but we're, they're going to, they're going to walk into this room and there's just going to be mounds of like dead people, just rotting putrid f- flesh, blood everywhere. These big tendrils are going to be sort of wrapping and coiling themselves around all the dead bodies and these like tendrils are just going to be like feeding off of it, um, just pulling all the pulling the blood and the and the flesh out of these out of these bodies. And they're going to see against the wall this huge pulsating sack of red flesh and blood. Um, the tendrils are coiled around it. It almost looks like a gigantic heart with veins. Um, in fact, the the sack pulsates very much like a heartbeat. And inside, you know, they turn a flashlight on it. Inside, they can see the outline of like a human form, a very very large human form. Um, And as they go to leave the room, the sack splits open, the blood in the viscera comes spilling out into the room, just gallons of it soaking everything. And from a mound of flesh and fluids, Koshai slowly is born and he stands up. Eight feet tall of oily black muscle, razor spines all over his body, fangs, multiple rows of jagged teeth, bony horns protruding from his head, head like a crown. He is more monster than he is man. And that's Koshai's birth scene.
1: Fuck yeah, dude! I love the whole thing with the heart. Like, that's going to be some really awesome ass imagery and stuff, and all the crazy, this like things coming off of it and tentacles and pulsating and fluids and stuff. Yeah, gross, but very effective.
0: And just lastly, post-credit scene: six months later, we're gonna have some. We're gonna have like a Russian cleanup team at the site, you know, in their in their suits. There's gonna be Geiger counters going nuts, and then we're gonna have a soldier find a part of a blackened finger that somehow didn't disintegrate in the explosion. He's going to pick it up, look at it, kind of closely examine it, confused. Like, how? what is this even doing here? Um, and it's not like it's made out of, like, rock or steel or something. Um, as he looks at it, the finger moves just slightly. Cut Hard cut to black
1: whoo okay very very nice almost like sort of like the an ending of christine sort of thing just a little yep. bit of subtlety and stuff in there to uh raise the question as to what is going to happen next and could easily set up a sequel which i wouldn't be surprised if a movie like this hit well that they would make another one and the monster or somewhere else doing the exact same thing to different types of people and yeah i could see this working like this could definitely be something that they get multiple movies out of
0: i if you gotta you gotta leave the door open for just like a little you know, for the, for a sequel possibility in a 1980s movie, you just have to just keep the door open or at least introduce a little bit of doubt into your viewers, especially at this, especially in this movie where basically I kill almost everyone.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And especially with the way that the the film industry really becoming a business and money and excess of the 1980s, they would make five of these movies. Probably two of them comes out in the same year.
0: Oh, for, oh, for sure. The, the last, the last two would be, the last two would be um, direct to direct to VHS at that point in time. And yeah. they would star a bunch of people that you kind of have heard about before.
1: Right. This would be like your um, maybe people that star in this movie and then went on to become like C-list celebrities in Hollywood and
0: yep. stuff like that. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a fucking tagline for this. <laughs> I I've, <laughs> I've, I've kept every time I come up with something, I try to be clever. It just I'm just like, nah. It's, it's just yeah. not ringing. So, like, this is something I'm going to work on uh, because when, when I do, um, you know, when I put this episode up and everything, I'm going to try to make some movie posters for us and put taglines on there. So I will Very have it nice. by then. But everything I'm thinking of is just, I'm like, oh, that's dog shit. <laughs> like, it's – Yeah. You're, like you're those, just those being are, too literal.
1: They're hard, too. And so, sometimes you want it to maybe be punny, sometimes a little funny and stuff. and. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I came up with, like, a list of, like, five or six taglines before I even settled on that one, which was the one I had, which is just okay, you know? And it's, like, the, the whole thing about how they're, like, normally puns, it's, like, there are where I feel, like, I'm heading down a path where this particular line has maybe been overused or it's too low-hanging fruit, something along those lines.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, <sighs> yeah, I, I just... I think I think that's what that like that's why like when a, when a movie tagline stands out on a poster or you know whatever, it's that's like when it stands out, you know it's really good or mm-hmm. really bad. like it's right. <laughs> I, I don't really remember just sort of mediocre ones, but I remember like really great ones or really terrible ones. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Those are the ones that do get memorable. The mediocre ones just like kind of go in one ear and write out the other one.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so those are our movie pitches. Um, I'm, I'm again, like I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased that we, uh, that we didn't go. Um, I'm very pleased that you kind of went a little bit more towards the comedy route, but that stuck with sci-fi. Um, but I'm also, but I'm very pleased that like we didn't, even though mine is clearly a horror movie. I, I, I think of it more as action first, horror second. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. I think between the two pitches, we got a, a
1: lot of 80s stuff in there. I think these were almost two 80s for the 80s.
0: Yeah, I think so. I actually I actually think that's like a I actually think like an executive would just kind of laugh at, at the at, well, I mean, in general at us um, trying to pitch. the Yeah, movies. but like sort of like, OK, like, you know, like so does someone come in like does someone come in with like a wailing guitar solo? Like while they're, you know what I mean? Like pick, right. pick an eighties trope. Like, does, does that happen? Cause it just feels like it should happen in both of our movies. But I, I, oh, yeah. I really fucking love what we did here.
1: Oh, definitely dude. Like, yeah, you're right. I could see it. The two Nelson brothers, long blonde hair and everything just showing up for a gratuitous guitar solo and everything. I could see it. This totally yep. makes sense to me.
0: <laughs> Speaking of gratuitous guitar solos, um, what eighties movie isn't a move. Isn't an eighties movie without a soundtrack, right? Like, Every good '80s movie had a good soundtrack and at least like one banger that came off of it,
1: right? Um,
0: so we're gonna we're gonna do the same thing here real quickly. Uh, we're each gonna make a nine-song soundtrack. Uh, just a couple of rules here. So five of the songs actually have to be from the 1980s, uh, which makes sense. But since we since we did get, since we did open uh, this this month talking about like '80s, uh, you know how the '80s sound has come back in music. We'll also include three songs that just sound like they're from the 80s. I suppose they could be from any other decade. doesn't really matter, but I have a feeling that we'll be kind of leaning more on modern music that sounds like 80s music. Um, and then we're also going to include one trailer song. So this can be from any decade. doesn't have to sound like it's from the 80s, whatever. Um, whenever they make trailers, even for, you know, whatever they make trailers now for even period TV shows and movies, How much? there's a ton of music that's anachronistic. It doesn't matter. We just, right. we just want to get the people hyped up. So, um, we're just going to focus in, on a couple so we'll mention all the songs, obviously, but we're just going to focus in, on a couple of them. So, um, let's just go like, let's, let's just start with our songs from the eighties, Gemma. Um, we'll just go back and forth. So once you throw out, um, and you don't have to, we don't have to talk about, I mean, I guess, you know, if you want to talk about the song that you're going to use at various points right away, go for it, but we'll just go back and forth. Okay.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely, dude, for sure. So yeah, I'll I'll kick it off. My first one is a um, staple '80s song. Uh, it, for any type of horror element, I think it totally works. It's The Smiths, "How Soon Is Now." That introduction and everything with the the synthesizers and stuff, and like the um, the kind of that kind of goes through it. That like kind of squeal, that like that little shriek or whatever. Yep. I think that it's like a perfect '1980s song for fucking sure.
0: Love it, fucking love it. Good, great choice. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to open up with uh, a song that I talk about quite a bit, but it, it actually would, I think it would work specifically in a couple points of this movie, but, uh, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant, um, nice. yep. a classic, a classic reggae hit from, I think like, I going to say 1982 or 83, um, that, uh, I just kind of envision op- kind of opening the movie actually, uh, once we get past the scroll, but Eddie Grant, mm-hmm. Electric Avenue, just a nice, a nice, it also kind of, I think a, a way to sort of, work into the film kind of putting you at ease that you're you're hearing something a little bit more familiar
1: yeah i gotcha yeah 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 definitely definitely and it's like it's that's Rock gone to electric avenue that song yep correct okay yeah it would be like one of those ones that um it's like a juxtaposition of like tone of the movie like the song is kind of like happier familiar but however you're about to be watching a dark bloody as hell action movie
0: yep exactly exactly uh what's your what's your next song
1: okay Next song is going to be The Damned Smash It Up off of Machine Gun Etiquette from 1988. A, a people in our generation are familiar with the Offspring cover of this song from the Batman Forever soundtrack. And um, it's just basically like I could see this as being like either a um, during the the riots part, like in the kind of in like the second act or something. But it's just like a, you know, it's a song that just basically tells people to smash stuff, which is going to happen in this mm-hmm. movie. Absolutely
0: Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to, okay here I'll, I'll actually Keegan in, in a song that I'm actually going to use very specifically in a scene and I'll d- just describe the scene a little you know in brief here it's something that I we don't see we don't see quite in the same way as we used to see it um, we, we do see this in the superhero movies when they're getting ready to like to go do whatever like in a Marvel movie Iron Man's getting his suit on um, you know war machine is getting his, his guns and shit ready whatever like you kind of see that but it's a, it's a little bit different than it used to be in the 1980s we would have had this classic scene with the soldiers getting all their gear ready. Um right. And like, and, and this is another one of those things, like it's also another way to sort of tell about like the, the character give, you know, show their personalities. Don't tell their personalities. So I'm picturing mm-hmm. this arm up scene, you know, like uh, to, to focus in on Scott Atkins' character again, because I think he's the most outlandish of the characters. Um, yeah. But to focus on him again, like they're going to be arming up. He's going to be loading his shotgun, probably has two shotguns. Um, you know, he's going to have a machete, a knife in his boot, a knife in his sleeve, a knife in his side. Um, you know, maybe he's got like a, you know, some kind of helmet with some shit like graffiti all over it. Like that, that kind of scene in a movie tells you, okay, so this guy has a bunch of close range weapons. He's fucking tattooed and painted and shit. This guy is a, a, a maniac and he wants to kill you up close. Like, right. That's what we're going to learn from this, from that kind of scene. So we're going to have the arming up scene and over top of that arming up scene. One of the baddest fucking songs of all time. And it's right in the title. It's LL Cool J's I'm bad. As they get as they get their gear ready and they're ready to go to battle.
1: Oh yeah, that is an arm up song for fucking sure. Definitely. Yeah, and you're right. Every eighties war, anything involving weapons in the eighties, you're gonna get an arm up montage. Definitely.
0: Yep. Yep. There's there's one there's Arnold does one commando that like is it's just him and it's still somehow like three minutes long yeah
1: (laughs) yeah because like honestly like if it was anything shorter i think i'd be disappointed like of course (laughs) he he needs three minutes of montage worth of weapons definitely exactly (laughs) How
0: how about your next song
1: okay the next one is a um it's like a 80% 80% instrumental song is by the replacements this is called a uh, senior video. It's off. Let it be from 1984. Um, this song is basically like a, a kind of like a rock and guitar riff that builds. And at the end, they just kind of say scream senior video. It's only rock and roll over and over again. And this is just like a, um, a song that I picked is it just kind of reinforces one of the themes of like home video and video yeah. cassettes.
0: I like it. I like it. Good, good replacements drop right there. Um, I'm going to go, uh, my next song, I'm going to go with a, uh, not a Metallica classic, but one of my favorites off of Kill 'Em All, uh, Metal Militia. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that if, I think that if Stranger Things, this past season of Stranger Things took place in 1983 and not 1986, this would have been the song that Eddie, Eddie has his epic guitar solo to. Oh, I could
1: definitely see that. Yeah. One fucking hundred percent on that too. And like, that's a ro- another fucking rockin' ass song. I don't think it is. It's not an eight minute long Metallica song. Um, I think
0: it's like, I think it's over five. Like it's, okay. Pre pre 1990s. Most, I think almost all their songs were like five to nine yeah, minutes. I know
1: that they do have a lot of like longer songs from like the older days and stuff like that, you know, but I know that that song is fucking rocking and it's got the riffs to carry the yeah. whole thing through the whole song.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about your next song?
1: Okay, so the next song for me is actually a kind of an obscure one. It's um, the Sonic Youth song called Shadow of a Doubt. It's off of this album called "Evil" or "Evol" E-V-O-L, from 1986. Okay. And, like, this is, like, one of these songs that it's strictly an atmosphere song. Um, mm. For some reason, it's actually, like, one of my favorite Sonic Youth songs. It's just really slow, really kind of dark, really haunting. And like this guitar riff that they use through it, just it's a perfect movie guitar riff. Like gotcha. once you, it's hard to actually describe because number one, it's, it's kind of an out there even for Sonic youth song. But once you hear it, it's just all atmosphere. Like this would be like, if I had to pick like an atmosphere song, like that, not necessarily like synth wave, but just like a song, like specifically designed mm. to create atmosphere, mm. it would be this song.
0: Gotcha. I am not familiar, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial this song up uh, when we get done recording. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a Sonic Youth fan. I just I'm not familiar with this song at all.
1: Yeah, this is one that I just like. It ended up on like a they had a greatest hits album or like a sort of greatest hits album called "Screaming Fields of Sonic Love," which took the better part of like their earlier stuff and kind of combined mm. it onto like one CD. That's how I found out about it. Like I this is this would be a Sonic Youth album that I probably would have gotten to like later on in my life because. There's a lot of Sonic Youth material, and it's not easily digestible for the most part. <laughs> so, mm. but this one was just like a random find. It, it's kind of stuck with me forever. And like once you hear it, you'll understand everything I'm talking about.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm going. This is one that's right on the fucking nose. And you can, I, I, I suppose, you can imagine any sequence that this might pop up in, um, or maybe not. But uh, we're going with Slayer's "Raining Blood." Uh, yeah pretty it's on the nose but man I, I like i said i love slayer let's i i will try to get them into anything i can and i think <laughs> it, just, it just fucking works why not oh it
1: it definitely fucking does. It's loud, aggressive, and short. Yeah, yep. It's like perfect for a, for a movie montage or action sequence, for yep, sure.
0: Absolutely. How about, how about <laughs> your uh, your final song here? Uh, okay, my last one
1: from this category is going to be Napalm Death, Polluted Minds off Scum from 1987. Just a short fucking rockin' banger, and it's called Polluted Minds. So once again, it just reinforces the, um, the theme of people being brainwashed and stuff.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I'm going to check that out as well. And I'll wrap up here with uh, another one that's a little bit on the nose, but I, I just again enjoy it, and it makes perfect sense. Um, going with with the Zoo from Scorpions. Um, oh, I, nice! I can't remember what year. I want to say like 80, 80 possibly. Um, I think it just ma- I think it just makes the cut because um, you know Scorpions. I, I definitely associate the Scorpions more with the seventies, more so than the eighties. But I think the, I think the Zoo is nineteen eighty, so it just makes the cut.
1: Nice, very very nice. And yeah, you're right. Scorpions like it's one of those bands they were huge but they just kind of get lost in some of the other eighties hair metal stuff you yeah know?
0: they were they were hair metal a little bit too early possibly before you yeah. know, before the like the, the the before the hair metal bands kind of mainstreamed a little bit like they were mm-hmm. they were around before then so
1: yeah they're from England if I'm not mistaken right I believe you're correct yes yeah so like yeah that that makes a that makes a sense that they would be a little bit ahead of the curve for sure yeah
0: yeah All right, how about uh, three songs that just have an 80s sound but can be from any decade?
1: Okay, so this one, I swear to God, I I thought that this was an 80s song all the way. Like, I always associate this song with... um movies from the 1980s and it's Salisbury Hill from Peter Gabriel. It's actually off Peter Gabriel one colon car from
0: 1977. Oh, and like, I, yeah, yeah, I I, thought those 80s songs as well.
1: Me too. Like, seriously, like every time I hear it, I immediately think like John Hughes movies and stuff like that. So this would be like a song that's, um, played during the, like the love story element of it between the Carrie and Dave characters and stuff, you know, just, I, am really in it for, the opening acoustic riff and the first, like that it, like that's kind of what I'm in for, like to set the mood and stuff.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Very. Yeah. Okay. I mean, excellent choice. Excellent choice. I, you're right. I just thought that was like a mid 1980s song. It just sounds like one. Yeah.
1: It's like a state. It's more of a staple of the eighties than most songs. And it came out in
0: 77. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. All right. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I, my, I can tell you right now, mine are all, um, from modern artists. So, um, we're going to go, we're going to go first one. We're going to go with one of my favorites that we're familiar with ghost, his song behemoth that Mm -hmm. opens up with a very, um, almost sort of like a religious sort of, um, kind of like, like a choir singing before it, before it dives into that heavier, um, synth wave that more, um, that more industrial inspired synth wave. Yeah. Um, so you get like about a solid like 40 seconds of this like choir almost you know singing angelically before we jump right into like the heavier shit it's a it's a a fun song and it definitely fits uh, definitely fits the the mood and the feel of this movie
1: hell yeah i fucking love that guy he's doing some really interesting shit with electronic music that's for sure
0: absolutely mm-hmm. uh, how about you? next song here
1: next song is billy jean from michael jackson thriller 82 like i i had to get a nice. thriller song on here in some way shape or form billy jean is it's got to be one of if not the best song on that album and one of if not the best michael jackson songs so we got to get it in there just throw this song on while anybody's walking around and it fits
0: oh absolutely just especially if they're walking around <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if they're walking, if a, if a, a little patch of the sidewalk lights up too, the more the better.
0: Perfect. <laughs> exactly. It's Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Excellent. Um, next song here. Uh, going with uh, again one of uh, one of our one of my new favorites. I think one of uh, a guy that you definitely appreciate now. Going with Makeup and Vanity Set. Um, yep. Mavs song. Telescreen. Um, definitely. This is definitely um, right in the pocket with the John Carpenter synthwave songs, like uh, certainly a little, a little heavier and a little bit more, you know, has the more modern touch to it, but it is right there in that pocket.
1: Oh yeah. And this will save um, John Carpenter, the time and energy of having to compose the music himself. Exactly. Like, hey,
0: Just, we already got it for you, dude. Just come in and direct. Exactly. Exactly. All right. What's your, what's your last song here?
1: The last one, um, this would be like during any workout montage that is throughout the movie. All and right. it's, um, Bruce Springsteen's I'm a rocker from the river, which came out in 80, I believe. Um, so like, this is like, yeah, 1980. Um, this is one of these songs that I like, swear to God, I have been hearing it like my entire life, but up until like 2016 is when I found out that it's Springsteen and mm. they're like, it does sound like a Springsteen song, but kind of doesn't all at the same time. And the the music part in the beginning and the, the kind of like this repeating line, that's like, I'm a rocker, baby, I'm a rocker, just the way that it works. It's a perfect workout montage song, like 100%. Nice. And like, I don't know, we probably wouldn't get the whole song in there, but like just enough of the of the, the beats and the music to you know show people working out. It's a it's a get jacked up song.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Excellent choice. That's um, it's a very interesting choice. I, I I really love the I really love the eclecticness of uh, of your of your soundtrack here. I, it's really good.
1: Yeah, you know when it comes down to the eighties, you gotta make it the soundtrack just as weird as the movies.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up here, and this is actually gonna be my end credit song. Um, that I'm going to go with here. And it's a song from Sonic Mayhem and Power Glove. And it's called uh, Futureland. And again, a very, I think um, even more so than the previous Mavs song that I used, Telescreen, this one is very much in the pocket of a John Carpenter synthwave song that would would be at the end of a, you know, take, take your pick of a John Carpenter mm-hmm. movie. This would 100%. You could swap this out at the end of like the thing and I would believe it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would believe that that's an original song.
1: Yeah, judging from the name, I can already tell, and that is a fucking incredible name for anything, no less. Like I name kids that, like that's how badass the name is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so uh, th- those are our three songs that kind uh, of have the '80s sound to it. And how about uh, how about your trailer song here?
1: Okay, so the trailer song. This one's a special one because, out of all the songs on the Talking Heads' Remain in Light, for some reason. This one is my favorite. It's called Seen and Not Seen. It's um the opening lines are like you've seen his faces on TV, magazines, movies and in books and the song is actually more of just like one of these David Byrne kind of talking songs, but it's it, but it slowly builds. And it doesn't really mm-hmm. build to anything much, but like you could definitely cut this song to get the opening lines which um like kind of reinforce this idea of of being seen. And yet the, the title is like seen and not seen. So you're watching this video, but you're not seeing the fact that it's brainwashing the shit out of you. And like, it's a, it's a softer song, so like much like you're doing with Electric Avenue, I'm doing the same thing in like the trailer, where it's just this kind of so- slow song that builds. It's got a beat to it, and I'm thinking it's the trailer is almost just like one of those um, kind of footage where it's just cut, 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 cut until it actually until it builds to something big, and then that's it. I don't even know if I would have any dialogue in the trailer, just maybe the song playing over a bunch of images that build to something.
0: I dig it. I dig it. That's you know what I think. I think when you when you go for a trail like a trailer for this kind of movie, one hundred percent would benefit from like less specific, less specificity in like what you're seeing, and then you would kind of need something similarly, similarly, um, a, a little bit more loose to go with it. Yeah because like, like right. i you know like when we get to my song you'll know exactly what i mean here mine's the opposite it's like structured <laughs> for exactly what's going on and i think the way that your the way that your movie is it would just benefit from sort of having a looser song and like a little bit more just imagery being sort of the 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 imagery being the sole sort of catching point for the for the trailer
1: exactly like that's Focused on that for the trailer because like this movie would be one of these that um, if you gave everything away in the trailer, how most movies do today, everything would be fucked. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yep. it would, it, the whole thing would be screwed. You might as well not even see it. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Um, and like I said, mine is pretty much the exact opposite. It, <laughs> this kind of needs a little bit of structure um because we need to you know again this is this is more of a this is mine is more in line with like a classic um 80s action type movie so we're gonna we're gonna keep with like a a very similar kind of trailer format um so we're gonna kind of lead up we're gonna get you know we're gonna get some insight into the characters a little bit and it some of the one-liners and zingers are going to build in and then we're going to get to sort of the we're going to make sure that there's plenty of action in in the trailer and going right along with that perfectly would be metallica's one Um, especially when we get to all the action sequences and, and we have like, once, once that song picks up in in intensity and you get into the, you know, you get into the hard guitar riffs, you get into James Hetfield's like guttural voice, really going for it. That's when the trailer will really pick up and you have like your action sequence.
1: Yeah, you know, something I can see this coming to life right now, and I can even see like the opening notes of the songs that very new, new new like mm-hmm. being um, over black. And as you kind of you're basically building to the entire thing, you know, starting with seeing nothing and you hear those those notes. And then you just slowly build the trailer along with the song. At some point in time, you get into the absolute fucking sheer madness and all the craziness and the louds and all the riffs and everything. I could see it working. Definitely. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. So, um, there you go. Those are our, those are our movie pitches. Um, I, and, and, and our movie soundtracks before we, before we get out of here, what were some of the ideas that you were working on that just didn't, whatever reason you just couldn't sort of bring them to fruition. Cause I have like two, That I really am interested in, I just couldn't get, couldn't even get close to the finish line with.
1: Yeah. Like, so I really wanted to go, like, into the running man here, like, something, just give me roots of the running man. Mm -hmm. I struggled big time with this, with the game and what game would be played, what the significance of the game was. And, like, you know, when we were talking last week, I just, you know, like, the, the game really wasn't enough in the running man. Like, so that's why they had all the stuff with the rebels and everything like that. You mm-hmm. know, this kind of overarching, um, storyline. And like, man, not only did I struggle with like, what kind of game, like, I was like, how am I going to work this in? It's definitely not enough. What is going to be the overarching thing. And like, I just, I couldn't do it like in anything that I even came close to, just didn't feel like unique. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, there's just like, it's like, what game are they possibly going to play? And then it's like, okay, well they could play video games. And I'm like, I don't even think that that's like, you know, there's just all these ideas that came to my mind. There's like, well, what if they are a video game being controlled by somebody else? And I'm like, I don't even know about that. So mm-hmm. the idea of having this game in this particular pitch it just kind of eluded me. Like, I I think I got way too ahead of myself and I got way too excited about the the idea of the running man and like, just, okay. Yeah. There's this awesome, crazy game. But then like, once I started to dive into like the the substance of it, what it would be about, and then trying to work it into a much larger like idea, it just, it kind of fell short. And I mean, And then on top of that, dude, I mean, I'm talking about like I ran through so many goddamn 80s like situations. I mean, we're talking robots like we're talking. I mean, I (laughs) I landed on like time travel, you know, like I did want some body horror in there in some way, shape or form. And like so I I mean, like I just like went through a bunch of different scenarios and I I just this is seriously the equivalent of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks like that. That's honest to God. Like how, mm-hmm. I did it. like that video of how vice articles are written could have easily <laughs> been, easily been how I came up with this movie. Uh, <laughs> so,
0: oh God. I, that's, that's some, I don't even want to, I don't even want to explain that one, but that's a fucking great reference. I'm glad you brought that one out.
1: <laughs> it, it, I'm telling you that video, it's, it just says so much without saying anything at all. And that could easily be a reference point for anything like, um, like how titles and all the, you know, stories, all that shit are kind of concocted. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you hit on the video game thing. I did very briefly. And then I, I realized in my head. I'm like, it's just going to end up like my idea is just going to go towards like gamer. Um, the Gerard Butler film, which I think is a, I think is a great Sunday time waster. Um, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's bizarre, but it's a great Sunday time waster. Um, that's where my brain like immediately goes. I'm like, well, if I, I, I can't do that. And then, <laughs> right. And then like the other kind of direction was something like, um, like war games. Um, and like, just, I'm like, nah, like it, it's, I don't know. Like, it's one of those things like I, my brain was like, is too hard. I think because there's so, there's so few good video game movies that, that your brain immediately goes towards what sort of works. And it's, yeah. it's just like, what are you, are you just going to copy war games and gamer? I'm and again, I'm not saying gamers like a great movie, but at least they get some, like, mechanics of video games correct. Um, right. So, like, immediately it's just, like, well, let's just copy that. And it's like, no, don't fucking copy that, you idiots. Um yeah. So that... So, like, like you, I, I kind of... I couldn't... I I, I, I thought about how, how how I could gamify it, and that just didn't work. Um, I, you could argue that it, but the atmosphere in mine is kind of Resident Evil-esque, but um, that's a lot of horror properties post, you know, post right. that video game. So, <laughs> um, so, like, so I dropped that. The one... There's one that I also just I briefly thought about was like some kind of like alternate alternate 1980s post Vietnam where it was like a, a ceasefire it was called because aliens interrupted the war. And, oh wow! But then like literally that's as far as I like, <laughs> like I was like yeah. But like yeah. how did they interrupt the war? Why is it, it? You know what I mean? Like I'm like ooh this is yeah. a can of worms I can't open up right now. There's yeah like they, there's uh, too much
1: they showed up in the form of a giant squid monster in Madison square garden. Exactly. Yep. That was, it. that was it. Yeah. There's
0: there, there was just so much like, I'm like, I started unfolding and I'm like, Nope, put this one back. Like wait until this one's better, better marinated. The, the one that I actually did get, I actually did write some stuff down for, and was trying to figure out was, I, I mentioned before, I was going to do like a teen horror. Um, mm-hmm. and it was going to be sort of teen body horror. We're going to touch on teen bo- and body horror, teen horror, and also the satanic panic. And I was gonna have um, like I got as far as like um, you know in my in my dream casting Caitlin Dever uh, playing twins and oh nice one of the twins gets possessed by a demon and um, you know it's kind of Carrie esque sort of storyline um, yeah but then like I as I thought this through I'm like I don't really want this like girl to kill her twin sister right which is where this is heading and I'm sort of kind of trying to make a point about like there was this was definitely going to be like making a point about like some about some 80s movies like their depiction of women Mm -hmm. and I'm like so then I ended by killing the person who's making the observations about how women were depicted that doesn't seem fucking right so like that was when I'm like I I need, like, Karen Kusama can go fucking handle that one, because I think she could fucking do it. Julia DeCorno can go handle that one, because I can't.
1: Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's like, when you're getting into the, the commentary part of it and stuff, and, like, all of a sudden she's got to kill her twin sister and everything, it's, I don't even really know if that would work. You know, I mean, if it was, like, her... Like I don't know the the gardener or like their aunt that's not really a blood relative it might work a little bit more but if it's like a twin sister it might just be a tad too extreme and I know it's weird because you just you know we're talking about a movie where a whole bunch of people die from monsters and stuff but like that might be just a little bit too much
0: yeah I exactly that's just the way I was thinking of like wow that's that's a really and I'm, I'm believe me I enjoy a great bleak ending in a movie i truly do it's probably why i like Zack snyder it's definitely why i like john carpenter give me a bleak ending i'm totally cool with that that just seems it's a that just seems like a different kind of bleak
1: yeah and you're getting into the whole like kids fucking violence and kids i got this thing they would, with, like, well they would have been violence like violence and stuff yeah. the
0: way i was thinking about it they, they'd be more like uh like college freshmen was kind of how i was oh, thinking okay. about it so like adults but not really adults yet which yeah, is kind of the yeah, point no.
1: I totally hear you on that. I just like every time like every time things start to like go down that route, I go into the whole like evil kid mode. And sometimes the evil kid mode could be like hokey. Sometimes it could be just right. And then sometimes you get into those like what we need to do about Kevin movie and the Jeremy video and stuff Mm -hmm. where it's just like it's it's almost like i asked i almost just asked like why at that point in time like yeah. what are you fucking doing here you know what i'm saying like exactly. it's just it, it, that kind of stuff's just not for me
0: exactly exactly all right uh so that about wraps it up um you want to give a i don't know do you have any um i i know you have some stuff in mind for for fright fest next month do you have like enough to give like a little preview Oh yes, definitely everybody. Oh, cool. We are going to be taking a
1: stroll into the fucking monster verse next month for Fright Fest, the spooky sea, Fright Fest. That's right. Um, we're going to be doing monster movies. So the first uh, episode is going to be like yeah, kind of like a general discussion of monster movies. We're going to take a stroll through the uh, the four eras of monster movies as Ooh, defined nice. by Wikipedia, which I I did not know. It'll be I guess outline wise, it'll kind of be like a almost like the Lindell pod, just kind of like in format. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be that long, obviously, but just in terms of format and kind of walking the audience like through um, through a history of monster movies, and then I'm thinking going into the double feature, and I'm thinking about sticking here in the '80s. So like, what I was, um, what my original plan was, and we could totally make changes to this was uh, since we're going to be talking about the Universal monsters in the um, in the history of episode, I thought we could maybe do like a, like the lost boys. You brought that up a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I got really like excited when I heard that. So I was thinking like the lost boys is like a vampire movie. And then um, the fly as like a monster, like, Ooh. you know, not like, not just like a human being evil kind of thing, but the, yeah. the fly is it's on HBO and stuff like that, which I found. So.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I'm excited. Yes. I'm excited for, I'm excited for this. I'm always excited for for fright fest uh, slash spooky season. Um, I love what we did last year. I, I I kind of I have since last year. I have rewatched Halloween three. Um, oh, nice! It, it's it really it it's a movie that just doesn't need to have that title slapped on it. <laughs> like I know. That's yeah. all it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, they like we're getting into this point in time of the year where like we're going to be seeing a lot of. Um, you know, Halloween three isn't all that bad kind of articles like millennials trying to reappropriate the past. Mm-hmm. And this is one I'd actually agree with. I agree with Once it. we start, getting, once we start getting into Dune into the eighties and, uh, Oh my God, the new one, which um, I saw a couple weeks ago is they're trying to reappropriate uh, Batman and Robin, like the, the Schwarzenegger Clooney, Batman.
0: Uh, and oh, I was just okay. like,
1: I was just like, I don't know if I can get behind this at all. Nope. No, nope. no, thank um, you. But like, you're right. Halloween three, um, it aged really well. I was talking to Jason Wood about that too, not that long ago. Cause he bought, um, he bought these magnets, like these cool looking Halloween magnets. And um, he's got one for each one of the movies. And it just kind of sparked this discussion about mm. Halloween three. And I got to say like, yeah, it's, it's aged fine. Then I will, I'm comfortable saying that as an adult, Halloween three is a good fucking movie.
0: It's, it is, it is a, it is more than a serviceable horror movie. It definitely has its flaws, but like it's, it's dead. you will you will guarantee you will never see a horror movie like that ever again right
1: oh yeah no it's dude so it's just a very unique cool example that came with the worst possible thing slapped on it exactly It was called anything else anything else i think we would be looking at that movie a lot um a lot different history in general would look at that movie a lot differently absolutely
0: all right i don't have anything else uh you want to lead us out of here
1: Yeah, you bet, dude. Everybody out there, thank you very much for tuning into the 1980s month. This is The Occasionalist, Matthew Pagel and Adam Chemielewski, signing off, wishing you the best, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.